Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. so much man what a what a great Sunday amen great great uh, opportunity to be together in God's house I'm gonna let you go ahead and find a place in your Bibles Luke chapter 19 in a moment we'll we'll read uh, the text I've had a few folks say look out preachers in a jacket Trying to get prepared for next Sunday. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the last, um, wow, I think the last seven times I've wore, worn this, um, it was at uh, home-going celebrations for folks, so y'all all stay, <laughs> in, y'all stay, y'all stay intact here. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> yeah, I actually told him, I said, I'm a visiting preacher. Oh, so if I take this thing off, y'all, forgive me. That's why it was a little chilly in here. I actually turned the air down a pretty good bit, and I had to go back over and bump it back up some. I was like, good gracious, it's hot in here. Oh, man, it is great to be with you today. It is great to be able to open God's Word. Um, it has been an interesting uh, day so far to start off. And, but we're, I'm thankful for the fact that God is always in control no matter what's going on in our lives. This morning is what we traditionally call Palm Sunday, where we would celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem. Now, although there's debate as to what time of year that this probably happened. Matter of fact, the debate leans more toward that it's probably not this particular time in the year. But nevertheless, it is a very important part of the, of the Easter story. And so this morning, I want to give you a title, simply, When the Glory Returns. When the Glory Returns. In Luke chapter 19, I want to read verses 28 through 40. I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you'd stand with me as we read God's Word. Luke 19, verse 28 through 40. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, as he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, 
Go into the village opposite you. Whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are loosing it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt. And they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, If I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Father, would you take your word today? Open it to us. This is a familiar passage of Scripture, as all of the accounts in the gospel narratives are, where it comes to the triumphal entry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us not grow mundane in familiarity today. Let us have a renewed fire, a renewed power within us as believers. And if there's anyone here today that does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would open their eyes today for their need. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> You know, it's an interesting thing when we start talking about the glory of God. So many of us equate the glory of God with a feeling. And I say so many of us, not just speaking of us in this room, but in Christianity, we equate the glory of God being in our presence with a feeling. As a matter of fact, you've heard so many people probably say over the years, wow, did you feel that? I've got the Holy Ghost, what? Goosebumps. As I've said before, I got goosebumps at a Leonard Skinner concert down in Charlotte one time. That white piano was out there, and birds was flying, and man, I mean, I was just, I ain't going into nothing else, nothing else. I'm just saying, I, I got goosebumps then too. So I don't know that I can equate that with the glory of God. Not to say that God does not work through us in our emotions, that God does not work within us in our feelings. But there's something greater than just our idea of the glory of God. You know, in Hebrews chapter 9, I want to read a couple of verses for you. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, it reads like this, And then, it, indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which was called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, 
which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Now, I want you to think about something with me. It says that, that at one time, this is what was in there. They were in there. That the pot with the manna from the wilderness, in other words, uh, they had saved some manna in a pot from the wilderness, showing the provisions of God and how he, His grace provides even in a time when they are so abstinent in their love for Him and just unbelief, but yet they're, they're there and God provides for them in that wilderness time, that wandering time. Then there's Aaron's rod that budded and bloomed. And I, I think to me it signifies that he is a giver of life where there is no life. And then there's the tablets that he gave Moses. But I want to take your attention with, to, with me uh, to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 8, verse 9. Now listen to what it says. It says in 1 Kings 8, verse 9, it says, Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt... And, and then I want to take one more look and move down to Ezekiel 10. In Ezekiel 10, verses 18 and 19, it reads like this. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up with the, uh, from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels were beside them, and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the Lord of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord was departing. There was a thought in the land of Israel when the Philistines had captured the ark that they had captured the glory of God. And they were in distress and distraught because they felt like that the enemy had captured the glory of God. See, when that ark would go before them, when they would be in procession and they would do what God had commanded them to do, and they were living like God wanted them to live, God would go before them and He would follow behind them. Just as He did when they came out of the land of Egypt. He was a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And he, was, he would darken the enemy's path as they come to follow. That's why I say in Psalms 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. My thought in that is everybody has their own way of envisioning things sometimes, but my own little personal thought is as I, as I stroll through this life, if I will follow him, as I step one way, goodness sweeps this way, and if I step the other way, mercy sweeps the other. And the enemy can't trail what it can't find. And God's covered my tracks as the enemy tries to get a hold of me. They thought that the enemy had captured the glory of God and they were so depressed. They were so distraught until they could get the Ark of the Covenant to come back in. But do you know that the truth is that the glory of God had departed from that Ark before the Philistines ever got a hold of it? Why? Because of the disobedience of the people. You see... The enemy can't capture the glory of God. 
The enemy cannot contain, like steal the glory of God away from God's people. God's people have a unique relationship with the King of glory. In our text, we notice that Jesus Christ is coming into the city of Jerusalem. And, and this whole triumphal entry, something to put in your minds that you need to take along with you is the fact that it hadn't been long prior to this particular time that the glory had departed or that they had not seen even the coming Messiah's promise in the land of Israel for a long time. For 400 years, things are silent. As a matter of fact, we could go to Daniel chapter 9. We won't, but Daniel chapter 9, where he prophesies about the fact that this is going to happen. And we go to other places in the Old Testament where it's prophesied that he's going to leave. And when he leaves, we have this period we call this, this time of silence. And if you can grab in your mind this whole picture that up till this point, he has not really declared in public that he is the king. That he is the one, the very glory of God. Now, he has proclaimed it, but not in the sense of the pomp and the pageantry of what we're going to see in our text. You think about the fact that he's ascending up to Jerusalem. Like, see, up, down, and then back up, actually. And we'll look at that in a moment, but... He is ascending to the city of Jerusalem, and he will step into the temple. I wonder what it was like for Jesus at that point, even though I know he knows everything, but yet I just can't imagine. He's the only one that really knows what's going on. We'll look at that in a moment, too. But as he walks up and he walks into the outer courts, making his way into the very center of the worship, supposed worship of Jehovah God. In, in our text and in other texts, you're going to find that he drives out the money changers because they have made a, a deceitful, wicked, prosperous living off of basically selling wares, if you want to call it that. He's enraged as what he, what he sees there. But see, he's been watching this all the time. Even before Christ came back, I mean, came to be born of the Virgin Mary, he's been watching these things all the time, but yet he's standing in the very presence of this apostasy, this, this idol worship. Did you know that the glory that I'm talking about is attached to the sovereign ruler of the universe. I want to draw your attention to our text in Luke chapter 19. Uh, let's go down to verse 30. He tells his disciples, he gets two of them, he tells them, he says, Go into the village opposite you, and as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. He said, Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you what you're doing, why you're loosing it, Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said, 
to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. I used to think when I would hear this that, that Jesus was like some Yoda, Jedi master. You know, these are not the droids you're looking for kind of thing. That he sent them there. I mean, hey, I was, this is like, I'm 30-something years old, and I still didn't, I mean, I'm just like, I guess he just put some kind of trance on them, you know? And, hey, the Lord said he has need of it. Oh, yes, take the colt. That's just, that's just what was in my mind. <laughs> my mind's not a great place for thoughts sometimes. But, but, of course, it's a fun place, I can tell you. Christy was trying to calm me down to a football game last night. You know, I'm, I, have, I try to have fun. I, I do. I'm, when you look into this, you find out that he tells them to let them know that the Lord has need of it. When you study the word out for Lord there, it's the word curios. The word curios can have one of three meanings in Scripture. It could just simply mean sir. Excuse me, sir, could I borrow your colt? It could mean master. My master has need of it. But it has another usage. It means the sovereign ruler, like the king or the governor or the, the president or the one that's over everything. It was not uncustomary in that day and time. As a matter of fact, it was in their custom that if there was a dignitary like a ruler, a sovereign ruler, that had need of an animal, they could acquire that animal at any point that they wanted. You had to be understanding that they could come and they could acquire a vehicle. You, you see these shows where the police take people's cars, you know? I just want to keep my payment book handy, right? Now, if you won't mind, take the book with you. And they come and they say, hey, we're police, we need to borrow your vehicle, ours is messed up, and they take off with it. You, you, you ever seen that bumper sticker, my other car's a Porsche? <laughs> That's the stuff that goes through my mind when I think about Jesus commandeering a colt. Just wait to see what I come in on the next time. When we think about what's going on there and think about the fact that he sends his disciples and tells them to tell the folks, the, the one that owns the colt, that the sovereign, not just the sovereign over Jerusalem. Now, I don't know that they get this, but I think we need to get this. Not just the sovereign over a group of people, some disciples, not just the sovereign over a great multitude, not just the sovereign over Jerusalem, but the sovereign over all of the universe has need of this cult. His entrance and exits are tied to his character, his word. They're not just at a whim. I think this is important. 
so often we come and go throughout our day just on a whim. And it seems like a lot of times that the people that are leading us may do things on a whim. But God never does anything just on a whim. And, and, and then we have the idea here that the return of, the, of his glory as a king is, is an un, in an unusual way. Uh, nobody's expecting this. As a matter of fact, Matthew 21 says, in Matthew 21, verses 4 and 5, it says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then we go to Zechariah 9, 9, and in Zechariah 9, 9, it, 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 this is, and you've got to get a grasp now, this is hundreds of years. Matter of fact, right at 400 years itself, before Christ comes to come into the, uh, to the city of Jerusalem, riding on the back of this, this colt, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Matthew's account is telling of the prophecy that was told in Zechariah 9.9. This was not an uncommon event either. Samuel rode on a donkey. David, King David, rode on one too. And so, it, it, but yet it was still a very unusual event. You, you look and you think about the fact that they're tossing their clothes upon the donkey. Let's, let's read in, in the text. In, in Luke 19, verse 35, Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. That seems unusual in some ways, in some respects, but yet you take this lowly colt that Jesus is riding in on, but yet it still has the, the preeminence of a king coming into town. As a matter of fact, in 2 Kings 9, let me read you just a little bit here. Well, I say I might, I'll read bits and pieces. In 2 Kings 9 verses 1 through 13 as a matter of fact for time's sake I, I won't hit the whole thing there but this is what's going on one of the most wicked kings that we know of in scripture is King Ahab as a matter of fact I'll never forget what is said of him that, that Ahab was a wicked toad a vile human toad that sat on a throne of lies and, and Jezebel was an adder coiled up at his side. Ahab brought uh, horrible, idolatrous worship to the people of God, drove them away from the, the Lord our God with his directions and his leadings. And then uh, the prophet Elijah, Elisha comes into the picture, and he is in this great battle where God is telling him how to, what to say, and Ahab and Jezebel are uh, at, at odds with the prophet Elisha. And Elijah called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth Gilead. 
And he tells him to go down. He said, the Lord said for you to go and to anoint Jehu as king over Israel. Well, we step all the way down to verses 12 and 13. And they said, a lie, tell us now. So he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps. So as Jehu comes out of his dwelling place, they're throwing their clothes down because he has now been anointed the new king over God's people. And as he steps out, it's almost like rolling out the red carpet. I've never had a red carpet experience in my life. I've watched several of them. I, I personally, mm, <laughs> I think they need to change the color of the carpet from red to another color now because they ain't none of them much worthy of much due respect. But that's just my personal opinion. They ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. So you have the sovereign ruler over all of the universe sitting on a lowly donkey, coming in. They're throwing their clothes down at, under the feet of the donkey. The, the picture there is that they are under the leadership, under the rule. And naturally, they're not throwing themselves up under the feet of the sovereign ruler, but they're signifying the fact that they are bowing to his supreme leadership, his authority, his power. And so here Christ is coming in. The other accounts we have in Matthew and Mark and John will tell us things about palm branches being waved as he comes in. And they cry out, Hosanna! And literally when you get down to the the very crux of what that means it means save us i mean the the palm branches are being waved and and we we have this idea that maybe they're just it's like fanfare and to some degree it is because that's what i'm going to show you but the truth of the matter is what they're of what they're saying is would you free us from the leadership we're under i mean they have been under some serious oppression the people of God fall to the Medo-Persians. Even after the Babylonians, they, the, the, they fall to the Greeks. The Greeks have to actually treat them fairly decent as long as they play along with things. They provide for them. But then you have the inner leading of the Jewish leaders of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all the, uh, the, the rights of being the Jewish people, but yet they twist them up some. And, and that's what Jesus comes and, and runs out in the temple that they were supposed to be bringing these animals for sacrifice but some of them had to travel great distances. So they got to the place to where they were purchasing animals there in the city of Jerusalem to keep from having to bring those animals from such a great distance. And all of these folks go, well, this is a great opportunity. These entrepreneurs, they, uh, they, they, people, they, they, great opportunity to make some money. But they quit selling good animals and they start selling lame animals. And then they overcharge them for the animals that they're selling them and things just... It kind of gets us to where we're at today, does it not? We've cheapened the very glory of God. 
And so here we have the, the setting of what's going on. They're, they're crying out, please free us. Do you, do you know that I believe that there are many, many people today, maybe folks in here, maybe folks online, but folks all over this world that don't know Christ Jesus or maybe know Christ but don't know the freedom of the graces of God that are in Christ Jesus like they should, and they're constantly, maybe it's you that you want to be freed out of the bondage that you're in. See, he didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law, but he didn't come to condemn you. He came to set you free. That's what he tells us in John chapter 3. We always quote 16, but we rarely quote 17. And there are people out there that are just crying out, just like these folks. They're caught up in the midst of what they know, and they're trying their best to find peace in their lives. You know, I had a thought this morning, and I just might, sometimes I'll take things to an extreme that I probably shouldn't take them to, but I had a thought this morning. We as Christians, I think we need to do what the media has done to the pandemic. We've always had things that will kill us. Always. You can take the media away, but diseases don't leave. AIDS ain't going nowhere. Guns won't go nowhere. And the guns ain't the problem. We know that it's the people that hold the guns. It's the people that throw the rocks. It's the people that handle the spears and the sticks. But yet because it's been publicized, everybody is scared to death that they're going to die from this disease. As Christians, we need to raise ourselves up and help people realize there's a greater pandemic out there. It's called sin. And if we don't get the fix for that, we will spend eternity damned and separated from the Lord thy God. Yet we sit back and we just let everything go on. He didn't come for us to, to live like that. He didn't bring the freedom that he brought. Because see, the freedom he brought was different than the freedom that they were looking for. The freedom they were looking for was freedom at that very moment just from the rule. They didn't want their lives changed that much. They just wanted to be able to live in peace right where they were. And isn't it just like God? Isn't it just like God to come into your life and go, I'll set you free, but it ain't going to be nothing like what you thought it was going to be. That one day, yes, I will conquer all of my enemies, all of your enemies. But now I'll give you peace. He says, don't fear the world because I've overcome the world. And this peace that I leave you is a peace that's beyond anything you could ever imagine. Unusual return. It draws this great multitude, it does. Uh, let's, let's see it in our text. And honey, would you hand me a tissue? I'm leaking. I'm sorry. They're up under that seat right there. Don't fall over here. Hey, y'all, how are y'all doing? It's my wife. <laughs> the one that hides on the left when they're singing. 
Yeah. Your left. <laughs> Verse, let's do 36 and 37. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he, he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. The fanfare. Get the picture of it if you can. There in Bethany. Now you got to understand just before this. I mean, just before this. He is at the house of Mary and Martha. Lazarus is there in his presence. Lazarus is seated up at the table with him. You remember Lazarus, right? He's the one that was dead in the tomb for four days, stinking up the place. Jesus, well, it doesn't say that he did stink. They just said, surely, Lord, he stinks by now. So obviously they hadn't gotten close enough to know. But surely he stinks by now, Lord. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's no small thing. As a matter of fact, if I remember right, and I'm having to pull from some, some thoughts in the back of my mind at the moment, but if I remember right, it's probable that the tomb of Lazarus was on the main pathway into the city of Jerusalem. All of the people coming in for the great feast would be passing by Jesus raises a man from the dead. The word starts getting out. They've seen other things, many other things that Jesus had done. As a matter of fact, it says that, that uh, they cried out with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen with their eyes. And so as they're uh, getting things together, getting ready to leave, just before they leave out from Bethany, he sends two disciples to go get the colt and uh, probably over to Bethphage. And now it's weird saying that, but that's how it's supposed to be pronounced from what I, what I know. Uh, some say Bethphage, and I just can't do it. So anyhow, but they, they send him, and most likely they went there to get the colt. They come back, they put Jesus on the colt, and, that, and that's something else too is that they actually sat Jesus on the colt. They coronated him there that day. He begins to ride up just a little bit to the top of the Mount of Olives. So from where they're at in Bethany, they can't see the city. They can't see the holy city. So they start coming up just a little bit over the Mount of Olives, and as they begin to crest... I don't know if the sun was shining that day, but I have to believe that if Jesus is riding into town, it'd probably been a pretty day, wouldn't you? But I'm just, I'm just speculating. But there, you see the shiny palaces made by the emperors of that time. They crest over the top of the Mount of Olives. People see the great multitudes growing around Jesus and the fanfare. They've been looking for a king that would come and free them. I can't help but believe that the crowd grew as they made the descent. I think 330-ish feet down from the Mount of Olives down to the Kidron Valley. It's said that it's a decent little ride, about a short by sight but probably a good mile or so as you go down and make your round around 
through the Kidron Valley and head up into the eastern gate at the city of Jerusalem. I have to believe that the crowd grew. It is said that, the, in, that historians believe that on, at that particular time, well, actually, I'm sorry, it is 10 years after this, they had an account of the number of animals, uh, lambs that were slain for the Passover feast. It was a little over 200,000, and they said that they would uh, normally give at that time a lamb for every 10. So over 2 million people being atoned for at that time. It's not even a stretch to believe that there was probably a couple of hundred thousand people around Jesus Christ as he's making his way in. I mean, you got to understand, these, there's a lot of people that's been under oppression for a long time. And they begin to make their way. But notice something about them. And I, I think this is important, and this is kind of where we're going to land things down and set things up for Easter Sunday morning. Don't forget that the curious, the supreme sovereign of the universe, as a matter of fact, I want to pull up something I had. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, we know the verses fairly well that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And come on, church. Every tongue will confess. Now listen, but what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. There are a lot of people not to take anything away from Miss Monica's song because it's actually to add to it. But I've been, and, and you've already kind of indicted yourself, I guess. You've, you're you're going to have to go to Guatemala with us, so just letting you know. You just get your bags packed next time they let us go. Oh, uh, there's a lot of Jesuses. But there's only one Jesus, Lord. That word Lord there is the word curios also. You see, not to take anything away from the name of Jesus, but to signify who He is. It's not just that the name of Jesus every knee will bow. The greatest name that's ever been given among men is Jesus is Curios. He's Lord. He's not just some other gentleman named Jesus. He is Lord. Sovereign Lord over it all. And, and so... His entrance draws this great fanfare. Then I want you to go to Luke chapter 24. And I want to show you one particular verse to kind of bring things down. You see, they're following him because of what they saw. He's declaring in front of them what has been said about him, right? Out of his word, but yet they're following him because of what they saw. We could go back to our text and we could find that the Pharisees said, Hey, would you calm these disciples down? They're making a mess out of our system. Jesus said, If, if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks will cry out. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment that all of creation groans and travails with birth pains waiting on Jesus Christ to be seated in his rightful place. And to put an end to all of it. So it wasn't just the people in the city of Jerusalem. All of creation, the stars, the moons, the galaxies, they all groan with birth pains that Jesus Christ would put an end to the sufferings of this fallen world. 
in Luke 24, verse 45. You've got to understand we're getting close to the ascension of Jesus Christ at this point in the text. The disciples have been around him now for several years. They've seen the things we've talked about this morning. And listen to what it says in verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. See, the people that are around Jesus Christ that are giving him the fanfare, they're the same folks that are going to crucify him. And let me just put this in there. If, he, if, if you understand what's going on in the Scriptures, He opened your eyes so that you could understand, because if He hadn't, we'd do the same thing. Some of them that are very close to Him that can't figure things out in, in the mix of it, they don't know what to do. Peter denying Him. He doesn't want to deny the Lord, but he doesn't fully understand all that's going on. When, he, when, when he's in the tomb, they're preparing the, the spices and all the things for the, the burial to anoint him. They're going there the next morning. They're sad. We're going we're gonna to have a sunrise service at 7 o'clock on Easter Sunday morning right outside in a beautiful little knoll there. And we'll be talking about the fact that Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. And they, they came and they... They were so disheartened until they realized it was him, but you don't realize it's him unless he lets you realize it's him. And this, these disciples, they're getting ready to ascend. They're, they're discouraged. Even to this point, they don't know what's going on. And Jesus has been telling them and telling them and telling them, but they can't understand. Not until he opens their eyes and they connect things the things that he's telling them with the scriptures because just before this and I can't don't have time to go into it but if you read just a few verses before that he's he's quoting some things from the old testament and they don't get it but then he opens their eyes and they start putting pieces together the jigsaw puzzle starts falling into place and if you and I know anything about God we are to be praising him today because you and I we did not receive that of our own abilities. God opens our eyes. I once was lost, but now I see. I mean, once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I think about the guy on the road that Jesus comes by. He opens his blinded eyes. So here's my question for you today. Does the Lord have a preeminent place with you today? Can you see the truth? Can you see the truth? And if you can see the truth, where is he at? Is it just some fanfare? Is it that you understand the scriptures and that you're following him? Because, folks, there's a lot of difference between just being a fan of Jesus Christ and being a follower of Jesus Christ. As a follower, we trust him, not because of goosebumps. No, we trust him because of his word. There'll be a day in time if things don't change when we probably won't have as many goosebumps from the sensual things of the world, but we will have, and I'm not against an emotional stirring of the spirit of the living God, but when he stirs you, he stirs a flame within you that is unlike any other flame. It is the flame that will send men to a martyr's stake. 
It is a flame that, that will cause people to leave everything that they know and everything that they own so that they might follow him just for his glory. But the thing that has to happen is just as Jesus ascended, uh, descended the Mount of Olives and ascended into the city of Jerusalem, he's got to ascend into your heart too. He's got to find a place to tabernacle there with you that the glory of God might be with you. Is that true in your life? I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment. <clears throat> and as you stand, I just simply want to ask, is he the curios of your life? Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today. That you would today, before God, just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins. And I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us. And so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.